Blessed are those who thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Hi, my name is Jeremy Lightning. Welcome to our Thirsty Podcast. Today, uh, our guest is Pastor Luke Wary from Sun Prairie, Wisconsin, and I'm here with my co-host, Zither. Uh, welcome, Pastor Wary. Good to have you here. Thanks. So, Luke, the first question I have for you is one I ask all of our guests is, how are you related to Jeremy or Abby Lightning? <laughs> well, I'm not blood related, but Jeremy did serve as my vicar a long, long, long time ago. And how was he? Was he like your best vicar? Best ever. Did you, you had more than one? I had a string of five vicars. You had more than one named Jeremy. I had more than one. There was Jeremy the Greater and Jeremy the Lesser. Did you guess which one I was? Well, I can guess which one you were. You're definitely the greater. Actually, no. No. Nope. He, was, he was Jeremy the Lesser because we were going by weight. <laughs> and that right. was Jeremy the Greater gave himself that name for that reason. Yeah. So. All right. Just making sure. <laughs> so, Luke, tell us about your ministry out in Sun Prairie. Well, first of all, let me say I, f I fulfill a very unique prerequisite in that my name rhymes with my location. I am wary from Sun Prairie, and therefore I imagine I can never leave. So I've been there since 2000, and prior to that, well, I... You could, you could go to Pleasant Prairie. Oh, I could do that. Yeah. That would be another option. So but we don't have a church that he would have to live there. He could start a mission there. They do Ooh. have land there, the church does. Inform okay. your district president. So I will, because I'm on the district mission board if we want to start a mission there. Because there aren't too many places that rhyme with wary. I will be thinking of them while you guys yeah. are talking. There's probably even less places that rhyme with lighten. And Th that's right. So yeah. at any rate, so uh, yeah, I, and uh, prior to Sun Prairie, I served in New York for eight years on Long Island. That's where I went straight out of the seminary. And that came as something of a surprise to you, I remember you said. Yes, I learned how Jonah felt when he was commanded to go to Nineveh uh, because I wanted to turn around and run the other way. Um, I had vicared in Nebraska, and the district president out there had assured me he was going to have a place for me upon assignment day, that I would be heading out to the Nebraska district. Um, and so when my name was called during the service and they said... Dix Hills, Long Island, New York. My mother-in-law says that my face was as white as a sheet. <laughs> and I thought, they are going to eat me for breakfast out there. I'm too nice of a guy. So. <laughs> and did they eat you for breakfast, or what was it like out in New York? It was actually quite wonderful. Uh, salt of the earth people and New Yorkers, they get a bad break on all the movies. Everybody thinks that they're mean and rude and all of that, and, and really not. Uh, we found people to be quite uh, inviting and kind. Uh, you ask somebody for directions, and they'll walk you up the steps from the subway station, and they'll direct you down to the corner of the street and show you which way to go. And, and so we found New Yorkers were very, very nice. And, and they were also, interestingly, very aware of uh, protocols when you visit their house. Um, and so, you know, right away, making sure that you're comfortable. Would you like something to drink and that sort of thing? Um, so I just thought that was really an interesting thing. Um, it, it sounded like when you would talk about your time in New York, that there would be uh, lots of 
different cultural experiences and, and things that you would see. But, and then the other thing is you were on Long Island and, uh, it was always kind of, I remember you said it was always kind of a hike to go into the city from Long Island. Uh, uh do you, what are your memories of that? So before going out there, I knew nothing about New York, you know, and, and so New York has five sections or boroughs they're called. And we lived out on Long Island, about 20 minutes out from uh, the borough of Queens by car. But if we wanted to go into Manhattan, and that's where all the movies, you know, that's with all the tall buildings and so forth. Well, then we would have to drive to the train station about 20 minutes, get on the train, and that would take us about an hour by train to go into Manhattan. Um, so, yeah, that would that that took some commitment to go to go that far in. Um, so, uh, Long Island is an island, and and it has the borough of Brooklyn, and then Queens, and then it has what's called Nassau County, and then Suffolk County, and we lived right on the border of Nassau and Suffolk counties. I also remember you saying that um, we had a guest on previously, Pastor Dustin Burgundy, uh, who, after we finished recording, told us all about how uh, their church was used down in Louisiana, Mm -hmm. was used uh, for a Zac Efron movie. Oh, wow. And he had this fascinating story about how he he met Zac Efron, and he even had a line in the movie as an extra, as the pastor of the church. And uh, it was this fascinating story, and he just waited until we had finished recording to uh, tell uh, Zither here and myself uh, about this experience that he had with the movie. And so I'm going to, while we we are recording, ask you, uh, didn't you have a similar experience that they wanted to, uh, they, they made a movie called LIE, Long Island Expressway, uh, and they were going to use your church as a, 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 a stationing ground for the, you know, doing makeup or something like that. Do you recall this at all? Wow. My head is exploding because that's a memory that I had long lost. So thank you for okay. reviving that. Okay. Yeah. And nobody ever actually made the formal request to us. It had been somehow a message had been sent to us. I don't remember how we got the message, but they were floating this idea And um, our church council discussed it and then said, you know, we're really not game for that because we don't think they'll treat the sanctuary with respect. Mm. Um, But yeah, but the movie was made and in fact showed in the theaters. Uh, One of the pastors that we had called to serve alongside me here at Water of Life came, is, is still serving out east, and he talked about the difficulty of the ministry of out east, east, just because no one knows where Lutheran is, uh, they really don't really uh, have any connection with Christianity. Mm-hmm. Now, that was probably a little while ago when you were serving out there, but did you have that kind of experience as well? What I ran into, well, first of all, it was it was very multicultural there. Um, I, I'm just prefacing my answer to you. Uh, coming to the Midwest, the most shocking thing was how how white everything is, and blonde hair and blue eyes. And out there, I got very accustomed to just a, a, a sheer rainbow of colors of people. In fact, as my members would come into the parking lot, I would I would sort of recognize them as they got out of their cars by the tone of their skin. 
um, oh, that must be Mrs. So-and-so, you know. And um, So you, you got accustomed to that. Um, it felt like while I was there, Long Island was heavily churched, but what they call the burnt-out district. Um, the churches had had their heyday and were now on the fading side of things. We were the Johnny-come-latelys. As, so, as Lutherans? As, the, as Wells. Yeah. Uh, Missouri had a longtime presence there, and believe it or not, uh, there were a few very confessional Lutheran Missouri Synod churches there. Um, got to know a couple of the fellas even, and uh, and so that was a joy to to know about that. But um, lots and lots of Pentecostal type, uh, non-denominational type, uh, of course, heavily Catholic, heavily heavily Catholic. Lots of Jewish people where we lived, many synagogues. There was virtually nobody who did not have a religious affiliation, probably non-practicing, but they would say, you know, no, I'm a Catholic. No, I'm a Jew. No, I'm a Pentecostal. They, you know, when you ask them, do you have a church or are you interested in our church? Yeah, that's what, you would, what you'd hear from people. How is that different then from Sun Prairie? So why don't you explain to our listeners where Sun Prairie is in relation to Madison? Ah, Yes, the glories of living in Dane County. Um, Sun Prairie is just north of Madison uh, and and almost connected to Madison now. 22 years ago, you never would have imagined, but it's been so built up. Sun Prairie is a town of, I'd say, 35 or 40,000 people. And so we've been growing quite a bit. We just uh, recently, as recently as 2018... We sold our old campus to the Boys and Girls Club of Dane County, and we moved out to a new campus just on the edge of town. Uh, it's just, even that is quite a story. Uh, you know, who wants a 60-year-old sagging church building? Nobody, not even developers, because it takes a lot of money to, to tear something down and get rid of the rubble. Uh, but the Boys and Girls Club came in, and they offered us a half a million more than we ever imagined we would get for the campus. And we were thrilled with how the building was going to be purposed. You know, this was a noble cause. So we were very happy about that. Um, so now we moved on to our new campus. We have K through 8, about 150 kids. We have a daycare and a preschool with about 60 kids. We employ approximately 50 people on our campus. Uh, we're currently, it's a sprawling, sprawling building. It's like one great big building, but it's all one level. Um, and we, we currently are worshiping in a glorified fellowship hall because that's as much money as, or, you know, as, much money as we could spend right then. Uh, so the goal eventually is to build a sanctuary. Um, and we have two full-time pastors we sure could use three or maybe four. <laughs> uh, and I'd say all in all, we have about 800 souls right now. So, yeah. So do you do a lot of recruiting of uh, telling telling young men in your catechism or your high schoolers or your grade school to think about becoming a pastor? You just when you mentioned we could use three or four, yeah, yeah. Uh, there, there is such a great need right now. And, um, have have you had kids that you have encouraged go on to the ministry? I have really tried over the years, and I've just had very bad luck. Mm. So <laughs> I, I don't have any success stories, really, to give oh. you. 
um, along the way, there are, you know, have been a few very motivated kids who already had that in mind even before I spoke to them. And I just try to encourage them along the way and write them a little note here and there and, and um, speak to them when they're home. And uh, But I can't say anybody... Well, that still counts. Okay. I, I, can't, I can't say anybody said, well, how many oh, of Pastor us, Ray, that was a good idea. How many of us have <laughs> been just the only person who have offered encouragement and then... Okay, now I'll now I'll become a pastor because of that because one. Because of that person. No, yeah. it's a it's a group effort. Yeah. Well, and speaking of that, I mean, we just finished our soccer camp this week, and I, I talked to a lot of the parents and grandparents, and I told them one of the things I was most impressed with was how we have twenty of our teenagers there. That's and, awesome. And a college student who's going to be a senior at MLC, and then a young man that last year at soccer camp. Uh, we noticed how good he was with the kids, and so I encouraged him to go to MLC, which he did. And he only lasted a semester. He said to, he said this week when I talked to him on Tuesday, uh, he said, I loved MLC. It's just I'm not cut out to be a teacher. But then when I saw him working with the kids uh, on Wednesday, I called up to him and said, hey, hey, Nick, you know, you should, be, you should think about being a teacher someday, just to kind of <laughs> tease him a little bit. He goes, oh, I should think of that, Pastor. But I said, I'm just teasing. You know, our church needs you to be like a Sunday school teacher, a, mm-hmm. sun, a Sunday school superintendent, just being, uh, you know, he's got to be 19. And I said, you know, one day being on the church council, those those are the kind of men that we need too. Because mm-hmm. we just had a, a young man call me last week that was going to be at MLC too, and he was afraid to call me. And he said, Pastor... I'm not going back to MLC. He goes, oh, okay. And I said, oh, okay. He goes, you're not mad? I said, no, I'm, I'm not mad. He goes, I thought you'd be mad. I said, no, what are you going to do? He says, I want to be an electrician. I said, fantastic. And I told him all about my son-in-law, who is an electrician, and encouraged him to in that field, because mm-hmm. you know, we need young men and women to be leaders in those fields, too. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we, I, I give him credit, those two men, because they went to MLC to try it, at least. Mm-hmm. Amen. Yep. So let's go on to, I guess, you know, the really important question I have for you, Luke, is what was Jeremy like as a vicar? <laughs> you're going you're gonna to think I'm not being square with you here, but Jeremy was, from day one, always a professional. From day one, he was he was a vicar that I did not have to coach him on protocol, on posture, on politeness, on any of those things. Uh, there were fellas that I, I had to coach a little bit, like, you know, try not to slouch when, you, when you're standing. Or um, it'd be nice if you would look people in the eye when you would greet them good morning. Um, but but not Jeremy. Uh, so, yeah. So, Dad, you, you, want, you, you want me to... I'll give you dirt on me. Do you want okay. the dirt on me? Yeah. Uh, Only from Vicar Year, though. Yeah, no. It, All right. It, I... I did. There, I I got scolded once. Did By you, me? Yeah, yeah. I scolded you. Yeah. I can't even. Here, here's how it went. I we were gonna go on a shut-in call together, so I could meet the shut-ins, and I think it was it, it had to have been the very first one, and uh, now I can't even remember what you said, but I I was I was I was like ten or fifteen minutes late maybe. And and you you said you were you were supposed to be here at three, 
<laughs> so that was that was that was the way Luke's called it. That was the yelling, yeah. Bishop Weary. <laughs> and and if I understand correctly, you're still not cured of that tendency. Not entirely, no. Oh, yeah. yeah. I do remember he was the only vicar to was it snowshoe or cross oh, country, cross -country ski, ski to church? He had to, he cross country skied to church. I like it because there was a blizzard and really the roads were impassable. So, Mister Dedication here threw on his cross country skis and <laughs> came to the for office a, looking for a chance to use them. Really, was the main <laughs> thing. Uh, well, one of the things <clears throat> I, I remember uh, with my vicar year with my bishop is I got scolded, not quite as gently as Bishop Weary did with you. <laughs> Uh, but I ran over a few minutes in catechism class, and my bishop, you know, scolded me, saying, that, you know, these parents are here, and you need to be on time because their time is precious. And I've always held to that because I remember talking to my, one of my daughter's basketball coaches in our grade school, and and I kind of scolded him about being late. And he said, "I'm always done at seven thirty with practice." I said. Yeah, you let the you're done practicing, but then you talk to them for another seven to ten minutes. Mm -hmm. You need to be done so that we're ready to go because us and everyone else we have other places to go. So I'm very time conscious with with all of those things. But I, I remember that conversation. Well, it wasn't two sided, but that one sided conversation from my bishop to me <laughs> that Victor years. You and know, you never forgot it. No, I am very <laughs> cognizant of my people's time. But, you know, in the shut-ins, too, they, if you say you're going to be there at 2, and it gets to be 2.10, 2.15, they get very anxious. Uh, where is he? When is he going to come? You know, they just want you to be there. And, uh, yeah. I've got one shut-in I visit every month at 9 o'clock. And it's 9 o'clock sharp. Mm -hmm. be and uh, Marge actually says to me, are you waiting around the corner <laughs> to pull in right at 9? Because I'm there right away every, every yeah. time. Yeah. <laughs> but I may not be entirely cured of that one, but I do. There's here's another one. Now you jarred my memory. Uh, you you did say that with me about um, adult Bible class. OK, that I could get I, I would I would kind of get a little, you know, wordy and trying to jam a couple of things in on the tail end is, it, you know, and so I, I try to be conscious of that. But another one. Um, and again, it was you were so polite and gentle about it. But I happened to mention it, it, teaching like the fifth command, the fourth commandment or something, I happened to mention uh, my political affiliation. Oh, yes. I remember that. You do? Okay. Mm -hmm. And and now that one I'm cured of. Uh, I, I tried. Actually, I had a student who this past uh, school year, I had him the year before in class, and he told me, we always thought you were, and then he said the opposite political party of what I am. Ah. And I was like, good. <laughs> I'm glad you think that. <laughs> well, I've got more, one more question mm. for you, Luke, before we get into the gospel lesson. I, think it, I don't think we've asked this of any of the other guests, but since you were a bishop uh, and you've had vicars, can you maybe explain to our listeners how you're chosen to be a bishop for these young, young men? And, well, then, and then what your role is as that bishop. Okay. I'm not exactly sure of, you know, the internal process. I know that we apply, we applied for it. You have to apply for it. You have to show that um, you're capable of doing it. And then um, in the application form, you lay out uh, what you intend to do with a vicar. And we thought we had just a very ideal circumstance 
because with the size of our congregation and with a Lutheran school, we were confident that we could give um, a vicar a little taste of everything. In fact, I tried to make sure each one of my vicars got to do one funeral. I wanted them to do a funeral before they left so that they could say, okay, I know how that goes. Um, Even preaching for the funeral? Yeah, the whole thing. Wow. They had, you had to do the whole kit. Begin, beginning to end. Yep. I probably had you preside for one first. And Maybe. then eventually you just did one yourself, yep. I think. And the people were okay with having the vicar preach for... I would always clear it with them, okay. you know, and, and to be honest, sometimes uh, it was a little easier when it was a family that was a little more loosely connected, like maybe grandma was a member, but none of the other family was, and so they didn't know the vicar from Adam, and oh yeah, whatever, just have a guy up there preaching, that's good, <laughs> you know. So sometimes that was the case, but at least they got to do... Um, a funeral, and I had they got to do a little of everything, um, and and so whether it be shut-ins or devotions with little kids or teaching catechism class, um, just tried to give them a very well-rounded experience. Um, so we applied for it, and then we were we were chosen by the powers that be. Um, yeah, and then and I yeah. I can add that I know also just from my time at the seminary that they don't so much match up the the vicar with when you get called to be a pastor your the assigning committee looks much more at the congregation and w- what would be a good shepherd for this flock uh with the with the vicar year what i've heard is uh since it's such a teacher student relationship between the bishop and vicar that they more so look at uh Who's the? You, this is just to your point about what are the qualifications, and uh, I know that they look at uh, who, who would best fit to be a good teacher of this um, vicar. And I, I will. I just want to reinforce what he said though about Sun Prairie being ideal for. It's like it's like not so large that you have people in the church that you don't know, but it's not so small that you can only get a limited view of experiences that it, it was. Yeah, I got to work with the school. I got to work with funerals with uh, the, his final project of the year for the vicar was run a VBS. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, that's what I was going to say. I think that's like with every vicar, you've got the youth group and VBS. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and and, and rather, I mean, it's it wasn't just because I wanted to get out of it. Uh, but <laughs> I would have if I were you. <laughs> But actually, uh, I had that experience my vicar year, and I thought, well, this is good to know how how do you recruit people, um, how do you organize something like that, you know? And and it really is kind of a great in my mind. It's like that final semester exam. It's that that great big project at the end, and then you wrap it up with a a VBS sermon at the end of it. You know, it's it just I always thought it was a good a good way to end it. All right, yeah, and we just wrapped up our soccer camp and. We were just talking before we started recording about uh, you guys just finished your soccer camp, right? Yeah. And you said that it it was nice because you just did the the devotion and Bible study, and then you sent the kids out. Yeah. Yeah. So ours, you know, we had uh, fifteen minutes of the kids warming up, but then we had to do the lesson right away because our teachers had in service. So a thirty minute lesson, and then like fifteen minutes of singing, mm-hmm. and then I do the the devotion while they're eating their snack and then they go out and do soccer for about an hour and 10 minutes. And then we finished up with our theme was rescuers. So we had a fire department today was canine unit and so forth. And then today was the first time that we did it where we did like a, 
little worship service at the end where the kids sang three of their songs. I had a, it was like a Lutheran service. It was song, the scripture reading from Acts 7 of the stoning of Stephen. That was the Bible lesson today. Song, devotion, and prayer, final song. And then the parents were all clapping. They're videotaping their little ones singing. And so that was a, a big success, but nice. trying to give them a taste of Lutheran worship in an outdoor setting. Mm-hmm. So hopefully they'll take us up on my email that I sent out and actually come to Lutheran worship on Sunday. Nice. Should we get into the gospel lesson? Yes. So the gospel that we'll study uh, today is from Luke chapter 11. On another occasion, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John also taught his disciples. He said to them, When you pray, say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. He said to them, Suppose one of you has a friend, and you go to him at midnight and tell him, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread, because a friend of mine who is on a journey has come to me, and I do not have anything to set before him. And the one inside replies, Don't bother me. The door is already locked, and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give it to you. I tell you, even if he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his bold persistence, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. I tell you, keep asking and it will be given to you. Keep seeking and you will find. Keep knocking and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if your son asks for bread, would give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, would give him a snake instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, would give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So what we're going to do is kind of spend some time on the Lord's Prayer. If you remember back to your days in catechism class, oftentimes the petitions of the Lord's Prayer get short shrift because the pastor's running out of time and doesn't spend a lot of time on the petitions. So we want to spend a little time on this. But before I ask about each of the petitions, Luke and Jeremy, is Luke, which version of the Lord's Prayer do you use in your church? I guess what you would call the newer version. Okay. So how did that go in tradition in uh, moving people from what you would call the traditional to the contemporary or new, newer version? <laughs> well, um, we straddled the fence for so many years until our members finally said, let's just do it already. Um, so what we did was uh, the school was, was learning the newer version. That's what we were teaching the children. So on Sundays... We'd have half the Sundays with the newer version, half the Sundays with the older version. We did that for a few years. Okay. And then finally, we just went totally to the newer version. Uh, something that was interesting to me, um, I was recently visiting a shut-in, <laughs> and I said, well, which, which Lord's Prayer should we say? And she said, Pastor, we've been saying the newer version for, my, for so many years. You don't have any shut-ins left who want the older version. <laughs> <laughs> well, because I think of... Uh, we're using the new version, and I, I've kind of used it in the past, and then we went back to the traditional, 
and and I kind of used the excuse of the school Mm -hmm. and the new hymnal to to go to the new one. And when people ask me about it, because no one's happy, no one really wants to use it. They're used to it now. But I just remember my senior year, I was a senior vicar in Whitefish Bay, and uh, Pastor Bob Dick there, they were just using the new contemporary version of the hymnal with the red Christian worship that had just come out. And I remember being there with him, because like you said, getting experience of all the ministries, I was there with the Ladies Guild, and one of the ladies said, Pastor, I don't like this. We should go back to the original. And I use this story all the time. Pastor Dick said, well, so we can go back to the Greek then. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, just like kind of a, she didn't really get it. I thought it was hilarious <laughs> uh, because, you know, it, it is a translation. Mm-hmm. You know, Jesus would have spoken in Aramaic. It's written by us in the Gospels in Greek. It's translated into German and English and so forth. Uh, but let's look at each of the petitions and the address. So we'll start with you, Luke. What is, and, and then, Jeremy, you and I can add in every time we, we're going through this. What is Jesus, teach, er, Jesus teaching us with the address, our Father in heaven? Well, it's hard for me not to go back to Luther's, what Luther wrote in the small catechism about that one, that we can ask him as dear children, ask their dear father. I I find it's interesting that um, Jesus did not teach us to pray our commander uh, or even our Lord, uh, but rather our father. And, And one aspect that is in the word father that isn't in any other word is love. Uh, that's what you find in the word father. Um, so I, I think that's a really impactful thing throughout scripture. Anytime God, God uses that image of a father is very powerful. Anything you want to add to that, Jeremy? Um, no. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And, and I think I would add just what you were saying, Luke, of hopefully children have, they don't have any fear of talking to their father. Mm-hmm. I, I tease that my youngest daughter, Belle, she'll, Dad, and I always know she's going to ask me for something. It's usually, can I go to someone's house or can someone come to my house? Uh, but she's not afraid to ask. It's Dad. Or my girls actually have the habit of calling me Abba, Father. Nice. <laughs> uh, you know, I kind of wish they still call me Daddy, but they're getting older to call me Daddy. But that's what Abba really is. Yeah. You know, Daddy, Abba, Father. And uh, like you said, to be able to approach our God, and that's what we have to think, our God, our commander of the armies, the one who drove out the devil from heaven, we get to call that guy dad. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jeremy, what about the first petition? What is Jesus teaching us with hallowed be your name? So um, speaking of fathers, uh, mine, mine taught me catechism, and he did a really good job of uh drilling it in that your name is is a label that isn't just syllables or sounds that go through the air and hit somebody's eardrums. Uh, it's your titles, but it's also the whole reputation behind that title. So we don't have many people these days who are named Adolf or um, Benito or, you know, um, uh, Benedict, mm-hmm. uh, because those names kind of carry some baggage now. Um, and uh, it, it, so, so my dad did a really good job of drilling that into me. But I honestly, and, and it's not just because he's here today and I'm trying to uh, 
<laughs> Excuse me. You're getting all oh, choked up. I'm getting all choked, getting up. All choked up talking about talking that to your was, bishop here. I think that was a carryover from COVID. Sorry, <clears throat> uh, but it it really was it really was it was it was actually how uh, simply and succinctly you put it that I think it was maybe for teaching a catechism class that uh, Luke Wary said, um, just remember the second the first petition uh, the, and the second commandment, God's name is about doctrine. It's about pure doctrine. And that's that's stuck with me ever since because it's just so simple. Yeah. If you if you're you're gonna slap God's name on something and say, This is what God says, this is what God teaches, um, misusing God's name, it's not good to say OMG, uh, but at the same time, that's not really the most egregious breaking of the second commandment. It's it's misusing God's name is when you say things that God didn't say, and then you say that God did say them. I'll take on uh, the second petition, your kingdom come. Uh, I talk a lot about uh, both in my congregation and then in my role on the district mission board of a lot of times, I think pastors and members, they can become thinking of their God's corner of the kingdom that they're serving in as their fiefdom. You know, they've got their walls and they're built up of a fortress and you might build uh, a moat around it. You might have a drawbridge. You might go over and visit some other people, but this is our ministry of the fiefdom. And I I really focus our congregation on uh, kingdom. We're doing kingdom work. Do I get grumpy when some of our members transfer elsewhere or we've got prospects that decide to go to a different church? Yeah, that's my sinful nature. I I can preach and rail on other guys with their fiefdoms and then I realize I have that sin in my heart too. But I really try and focus all of us here at Water of Life and in my role on the mission board of this is a big kingdom and uh, let's work together in the kingdom here in Racine and Caledonia and then in our Southeast Wisconsin district in the Wells. I don't know if you guys want to add anything to that. Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, so then, Luke, what about the third petition? Your will be done on earth as in heaven. Here's how I read that. Dear Lord, please make sure that I never get anything I want. <laughs> please make sure that you only get what you want. Amen. Because whatever God wants can only be good. And no matter how good what I want seems to me, Lord, I only have noble purposes. Uh, No matter how good it seems to me, it has to be evil because I am evil. So anytime I don't get what I want, that's a good thing. And anytime God gets what he wants, even when it feels evil... It's a good thing when God get what gets what he wants. So then what about in our culture when we're told to follow our heart? <laughs> Isn't yeah. that a good thing? I think Jesus even said in the, here in the gospel lesson, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good <laughs> gifts to your children. My heart is filled with evil. Yeah. Uh, so it will always deceive me. Um, so Lord, make sure that I don't get what I want and make sure that you only get what you want. And I add this when I, I learned this a little while ago. And so I add this when I'm teaching my kids on your will be done of in our own prayers, say, uh, whether it's our own uh, personal prayers or our intercessory prayers in the prayer of the church on Sunday morning, we often will pray for healing for someone. And yet 
in the old days, you know, maybe my grandfather's time and before that, that they didn't necessarily pray for healing because the medicine wasn't that great. Healing wasn't going to come. They just prayed, uh, Lord, give us peace mm-hmm. as we deal with our affliction, your will be done. But now we've, because medicine's come so far along that we pray, well, give us healing. And if that doesn't happen, your will be done. Just a, just that way of things have changed over the years. Yeah. And, and I don't know if we're necessarily ready to pray your will be done. And sometimes we forget to pray for those higher gifts, uh, patience, uh, forbearance, love, charity, um, perseverance. We, we don't pray for all those higher gifts that really, that's the stuff that heaven is made of. Um, you know, we, we think that heaven is a place where um, I'll get to sit on a couch with a remote control and eat pizza and nobody will ever bother me. Um, but it's really just the opposite. The reason nobody will ever bother me in heaven is because I will have perfect patience with everyone. So I want to ask for those things now and get some practice at that to yeah. make me ready for the kingdom. Well, just so you know, you know, you talked about what might be in heaven. I think your vicar said recently that there might be like puppies and unicorns in heaven. <laughs> Is that what you asked? Was that, that, in a if that was what it was in a chapel devotion. Oh. <laughs> but, uh, if you want to, if you want to ride a unicorn, if that's what will make you oh, the happiest. Oh, roller coasters too. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Whatever will make you the happiest is God. God wants to make you the happiest you can think of in heaven. Okay. How about Jeremy? Give us today our daily bread. Um, I've got this uh, version of the Lord's prayer that I wrote. It's kind of a paraphrase, like you know, you know how Luther explains the Lord's prayer in the catechism, but then he also has paraphrases of it that he's written where he kind of applies each petition a little bit more. And I, and I wrote one, one time for uh, a preacher who's about to preach a sermon that, uh, praying through the Lord's prayer. And so like, hallowed be thy name, Lord, please help me only to teach true doctrine, thy kingdom come, please use my words to increase your rule in the people's hearts who are going to hear me. And then with thy will be done, uh, I, I kind of, went off on all these different directions of whatever you want to do in this, in the time that I'm going to be preaching this sermon, Lord, go ahead and do it. Um, if you want me to, uh, suddenly faint or to vomit, because for some reason that will best serve your kingdom while I'm preaching, uh, then, then do whatever you want with me during this sermon. And then with that, uh, with give us this day, our daily bread, uh, I, I, I wrote, Lord, please don't let me vomit while <laughs> I'm preaching or don't let me faint. Uh, whatever, whatever it is that has to do with your bodily welfare uh, is the fact that you can, uh, you know, drive from here to your house and back uh, without getting into an accident. That's your daily bread. Um, the fact that uh, you uh, got better from COVID or that you got your uh, medicine that now is working better than it did 100 years ago. That's daily bread. Yeah. Uh, fifth petition. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And there, I remember a shut-in that every time I would visit her, she would tell me, you know, Pastor, we need to forgive people uh, like they forgive. Or Yeah, we need to forgive people as they forgive us and vice versa, because otherwise Jesus isn't going to forgive us. She had a touch of dementia, so every single time. And then 
uh, horribly one one night someone came broke into her house and tried to steal some stuff and then tried to suffocate her with her pillow. Oh. And I, I saw her in the hospital. Her face is all black and blue. She survived, but, uh, you know, the recovery at her age in her upper 80s was a long time. And I never had the guts to ask her if she was willing to forgive her attacker. But uh, I know one of her one of our members, you know, is her, that was her aunt, and it's hard for her. And I've had other members that have had... You know, one told me when she was going through adult confirmation class that she, her sister was murdered here in Racine a long time ago. And when these awful things happen, it's really hard to forgive. But then to say, you know, for me to teach then in those real life situations, well, Jesus doesn't want to just us to forgive our neighbor because their neighbor came and did something bad in our yard or because we got in an accident or whatever it is. This is really awful stuff that we as sinners are going to do to each other. And yet we did some pretty awful things to Jesus. We murdered the Son of God. And yet he forgives us. And that's the way he wants us to forgive each other. Uh, Luke, how about the sixth petition? Lead us not into temptation. All right. Uh, This one is, in my humble opinion, often misunderstood. Lead us not into temptation is not uh, so superficial as, Lord, I'm trying to lose a little weight. Help me not give in to the temptation of eating that chocolate chip cookie dough ice cream. Uh, that's that's really not, it's, it's not even merely, Lord, help prevent me from clicking on to internet porn. It's not even just that. The word temptation is much larger and deeper than that. We're really talking about... Um, tumultuous times of, of turmoil and torture and sorrow and grief and anxiety and, and when your guts are being ripped out and you're saying, Lord, don't leave me alone in this. So a picture that I like to use is, is um, there's this massive wave coming in from the ocean that is going to swamp you if you are alone. Um, Lord, don't, don't lead me into that and then leave me there. I will surely drown, but, but if you must, then I want you to carry me through it. And in fact, there's a passage in scripture, um, Isaiah 43, where God says, if, if you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep you away. And if you pass through the fire, it will not burn you. Um, I know I have to go through these times when my guts are being ripped out. Um, I have adult kids. Sounds like you have adult kids. Um, so the, the old German saying is, uh, little children, little problems, big children, big problems, right? Um, and, and so you say, Lord, uh, if I must go through these tumultuous times, these things that give you so much heartache, um, don't, don't leave me to go it alone. You must carry me through it. We were just talking about that big children, big problems. Last week when I was uh, biking with my oldest daughter, Abby, we do 12 miles every morning and uh, we got down, down to the first six miles and we were turning around and I told Abby, I said, wow, you are an adult. We are getting old. She said, what do you mean? And I said, because the whole six miles we were talking about recipes and grocery shopping and so forth. Uh, that's adulting. Yeah. Uh, nice. <laughs> seventh petition, Jeremy, but deliver us from evil. Um, <clears throat> well, the, the preacher that you assigned to 
cover service at the Caledonia campus this past Sunday. Were you related to that guy? I, I am, actually, yes. <laughs> and uh, he, he described the seventh petition as kind of a catch-all, that um, it, it's wrapping things up. Um, and that's you can see that in Luther's explanation in the small catechism, too. He says, uh, this is to deliver us from every evil that threatens body and soul, property and reputation. Uh, but then uh, I'll just add, uh, I remember it, it wasn't when I was a pastor of this church, but before I got to the congregation I was assigned to, there was a young high school boy in the congregation who developed cancer and then died from it. And he, he was, his parents were very involved in the church and it was very tragic and sad. Um, they actually had the funeral at the gymnasium of the Lutheran high school nearby. And the pastor told me that he finally had a chance to do something he'd always wanted to do for that funeral, which was uh, preach on this uh, petition that, uh, do you know, every time we say, deliver us from evil, we're saying, Lord, please take me out of this miserable world. And that's what he, he said. And Jay has now had his, Jay was the boy's name. Jay has now had his prayer answered for all the times that he prayed, deliver us from evil. Uh, now he has been delivered from this, this world of sorrow. Wow. And who was it that preached last weekend? Oh, my dad. Oh, was yeah. it really? Yeah. Oh, came all the way from New Ulm to preach for us. I'm sorry I missed it. I guess I was working. <laughs> yeah, it was a Sunday morning. Yeah. Uh, and then for either of you guys, uh, are your people ever ever bothered when they realize that the Lord's Prayer they've been praying for their entire lives has a doxology in it, and when they read it in the Gospels, it's <laughs> not there? So where where does the doxology come from, and why is it added in our Lord's prayers. I just happened to look this up recently for a note in our own worship folder because I figured people would have that question. These readings came up for us uh, a couple weeks ago. Um, and Jeremy, you can correct me if I'm wrong because it seems like the kind of thing you probably would have studied. No? No? Okay. Maybe. Here's what I came up with. It's, it looks like um, the earliest early Christian church uh, added it as part of their liturgy as a response to the Lord's prayer. So like the, the presider would pray the Lord's prayer and then the people would respond for the kingdom, the power and the glory are yours now and forever. Um, so that's the best I could find on that one. Yeah, I think it just, I forget if it, I don't know if it's in the EHV, but in the NIV, I feel like they have a little footnote saying that some of the earliest manuscripts or textual evidence ha uh, does not have this in it. And then it maybe isn't until several centuries after Christ walked the earth that somebody, you know, put this down in Greek. Mm -hmm. um, is and, that... and there there really is not strong evidence for yeah. the doxology being in the manuscript. No. There, there really isn't. So, But that seemed to me a plausible explanation that the early church spoke this as a response to, to your question uh, i think the answer is no i have not heard okay. many christians that are terribly troubled by this <laughs> uh well and i think it's good for our listeners to know too that the doxology isn't just in the lord's prayer but uh, it's in our psalms every one of the psalms in the hymnal the doxology is added 
And then I did this once. Uh, I counted up the hymns in the Christian worship hymnal, the red one. There were at least 20 hymns, I mean, 60 hymns that end with a doxology. Mm-hmm. So it's giving God his praise. Uh, one of the moms who was at our camp this week, uh, she was looking for a church home, and thankfully God brought her by us. And then I gave her a tour of the church, and, and I was explaining that the beautiful thing about I was walking through the order of service because she hadn't been in a Lutheran church before. And I was just kind of walking through the Gloria after the confession and absolution and just say the beautiful thing with Lutheran worship here and specifically in this song is we're singing God's praises back to him. He's telling us the words and then we tell him the exact same words. And, and I think that's part of that doxology as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got a couple questions yet with this text. So, uh, Luke, with his illustration in verses 5 through 8, what is Jesus teaching us about our life of prayer? So, it's a theme that Jesus teaches throughout, all of Scripture teaches throughout um, the Old Testament lesson teaches. God's answer is yes, and it's going to be yes, and it's always yes, yes, yes. Um, he, he encourages us, urges us, pleads with, with us to pray. And his answer is going to be yes. Yeah. And that illustration is where he goes, where the neighbor goes to the groggy neighbor and maybe even grouchy neighbor and just knocks on the door and is very persistent. And he's teaching us to be persistent. Don't just ask one time and then, oh, I didn't get it. And that must be the Lord's will. No, maybe the Lord's will that I keep on coming to him. Uh, and there I think of, uh, we've been calling uh, 13 guys to be my associate. One of them was <laughs> was Luke Weary's associate to pull him away from here. And uh, I had told him that, I don't know why you would ever leave Luke Weary as an associate to come and be my associate. But I had a sermon several months ago, and it was probably a sermon more for me as much as for our people. And I said, the, the title was probably the longest theme I ever had for a sermon. It was the right man for the right place at the right time is, you know, a year and a half for us calling and praying for the right guy. And, and yet the Lord's will, you know, we we're going to be persistent. And eventually I, I feel God's going to give in. And that's what that's, that's what that illustration is about. Well, you had to wait quite a while well, well, you were calling this current associate, I remember. About two, <clears throat> excuse me, about two years before we got Sean Arndt. That's why I'm a little jealous to keep him. <laughs> so, um, I, so I'll just share with you a crazy story. I'm not going to claim to know the mind of God, but I do know what I did uh, myself, personally. This was back when gasoline was over $4 a gallon. Um, ooh, Back, I think, I, I can't remember the years, but like when President Obama was president, it was at that time. Um, and gas went way, way up. We had two students at Lakeside and two students at Lakeside Lutheran High School, uh, which is about a 30, 35-minute drive from our house, and then two students in grade school. And our Quick Trip bill, so we get all of our gasoline for our car at Quick Trip. There's an advertisement for you. <laughs> um, now we just have to get them a sponsor. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> Maybe they'll give us T-shirts. <laughs> anyway, 
So, um, which would really help on a podcast, by the way, to have a t-shirt. So I'll tell you, and and I'm, I don't mean to sound crazy for two years straight. I prayed every day that the Lord would lower the price of gas because I just said, Lord, we can't keep doing this. We can't afford this. When you have two high school kids, you are driving back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. You are putting the miles on like in just insane miles. And I was a very worried dad. Um, And then all of a sudden, there was this thing I'd never heard of in my entire life called fracking. And gas went down to like a buck 50, a buck and a quarter a gallon. Now, I'm not telling you it was just my prayer specifically that caused this to happen. All I'm saying is I did pray about this for about two years. And the price went down dramatically. Um, course god knows all things and has management of the whole picture so that's all i'm saying there you go you know it was during my vicar year that uh the uh paul and lara patterson family invited us over to watch the super bowl and and my new york giants were in the super bowl and ever since that night i have used as an example for this passage I actually said a prayer <laughs> that the Giants would win the Super Bowl, and they did. And they did. There you go. Well, he who works and controls all things takes into consideration every prayer. There you go. And Jeremy, what encouragement is Jesus giving us about our prayer life in the last verses, 9 through 13? Uh, now I have to, now that you reference the verses, uh, that's the... He says, I keep... I tell you, keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking, and then he talks about. I, it it kind of goes back to just what we were saying. Although we, you know, we do, we don't, we don't want to just discard the petition that we talked about. God's will be done. Um, that is uh, important to set the tone, um, and at the same time, if you if you just all day long keep saying, well, God, do whatever you're going to do. Do whatever, do whatever, God, do whatever. Imagine a spouse doing that in a marriage. Wouldn't that get kind of annoying after a while? It, you, we don't actually have a relationship, do we? If, if you, all you ever tell me is do whatever I want, do whatever I want, do whatever I want. Um, I, I would like to know what you want. And this is not God talking to our sinful self. This is not him promising us a, a vending machine or a genie in the lamp kind of a thing. But um, there are a lot, there's a lot more ink that the Holy Spirit has spilled telling us that God is going to give what we ask for in prayer. And, and you might have to wait until the next life to get it. You might have to wait until heaven to get your unicorns or your puppies. But, uh, but, uh, I, I, I struggle mightily to find the passage where God says, I will flat out deny what you are asking me in prayer. Um, and that's illustrated by this parable that Jesus tells. Uh, even though we are flawed parents, Jesus says we are evil fathers. Um, if your child asks you for a sandwich, are you going to give him the exact opposite of a sandwich? Uh, if he if he asks for a snack, are you going to play a trick on him? Andrew, well, you might play a trick on your kids. But uh, I, I was pointing to... Zither, by the way, yes. not, not Pastor Wary. Um, anyway, uh, that that's the point. Is um, Jesus? Jesus is saying here, he's not going to say no. He's going to give you what you ask for, or something better that is in line with what you asked for. Uh, and then it, I think 
you, he really brings the attention back with that final phrase of, um, don't you think God's going to give you the Holy Spirit? And that always catches me off guard because it's kind of like, oh, how often have I actually asked for the Holy Spirit? But that's really the most important thing uh, so that my will can be aligned with his, is that I have his Holy Spirit. Yeah, and my devotion today with the fam- with all the families and the campers at Camp was on, uh, on prayer. And, you know, I, I said, we thank God for the great weather we had. It was just fantastic weather, except for Wednesday. Uh, Wednesday, we got rained out. But we, we got everyone inside at 9.15 when we were just coming in for a devotion and Bible study. and then, uh, But then everyone went home at 10.30 instead of noon. But I said, it was God's will because uh, the Bible study that day was on Jesus calming the storm. But we had... But God answered our prayers with the weather, fantastic kids, uh, all the, the coaches and everything. But most importantly was he's given us Jesus. And the theme was on rescuer to be the rescuer from sin, Satan, and hell. A last question for you guys, because we're not going to have time to get into the other lessons. But the other lessons on First uh, Timothy... Two, where Paul talks about petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving. And then uh, the first reading uh, is on Genesis chapter 18 as uh, Abraham is praying to to God, who's there in person, uh, praying for Sodom and Gomorrah. But I guess I have want to see what you guys say to someone then who says, why should I pray if God knows everything anyhow? I'm sure you've gotten that question. So here's my answer. In fact, I I answered that in a sermon recently. All right. My answer was, blah, blah, blah. You have the Lord's yes. Let that be enough for you. It's called faith. That was it? That was it. That was a short sermon? That that was my answer. So pray... Pray because God has told you and he's given you this answer. So, Well, there's two things. and, And Luther points this out in the small catechism. Under the doxology, God has commanded us to pray in this way. That's number one. Number two is he's promised to hear us. So if you pray, you know you're doing what God wants you to do. There's no question. And number two, you know the words aren't going to be wasted because he promised he would hear you. That's enough. I don't need to know more than, I don't need to explore, well, if God already knows and he already knows what I'm going to ask, and that's where I said, blah, blah, blah. It's enough to know God promises to give me a yes. Well, and that's really just humans trying to jump up inside of the mind of God and yeah. determine uh, his hidden will. Yeah. It's called faith, right? We, we, we trust the Lord, right? He'll give us what he promises. Would you add a third that you can change God's mind? Because you, you do have examples in that where, say, Moses, you know, God wants to do one thing. Moses, like destroying the Israelites, Moses prays and he changes you know, God changes his mind and he doesn't. I suppose from a human standpoint, it would look that way, but I don't know the mind of God right. and I can't go there. Um, so I can't really, I mean, I, I can say too, uh, Abraham caused God to pause concerning Sodom, but no, God chose to pause and he gave Abraham a chance to pray about it. Um, so I don't know the mind of God. I do know that he promises that he will give a yes to my prayers. That's as much as I know. That's all I need. The the scriptures talk that way. Uh, I, I think maybe 
changing God's mind is a, a little strong way of putting it. And, and I think that's very, very open to misinterpretation. Um, but yeah, there certainly are. You could you could talk about Hezekiah. You could talk about Abraham here. You could, uh, uh, what was the other example that we just brought up? Moses. 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 Yeah. Um, and uh, all of those ways are, are God, how God presents himself. Um, yeah, it's not so much to try and jump up inside his head and, and try to control him. Uh, then you're approaching it from the wrong angle. It's more so um, he is presenting himself this way so that you see him as so tender, as so compassionate that, that you, you make his heart go pitter-patter. You, you, you win him over just uh, it, not, not by anything that you've done, but just because he is that merciful that uh, he wants to... He, he wants to have a real relationship with you. It's not a real relationship if we're only thinking of it in terms of, uh, you know, this was foreordained and we're just cogs in the wheel of uh, praying for it. You know, that very well might be the case, but that's not a real relationship if we're just seeing ourselves as cogs in a wheel. Uh, this is, a as we started it with the beginning, a father-child relationship, and that that's a conversational relationship. And I think also, as we talked before with the third petition, is your will be done. Perhaps, you know, we were, you guys were talking about changing, you know, in response to my idea of changing the mind of God is maybe God changes our mind. That maybe our mind, our will has been changed. So now we actually are fulfilling the third petition of the Lord's Prayer, your will be done, because God changed our will. So Moses, Hezekiah us mm-hmm. now are matching God's will of what he really Abraham what he wants to do he he gives us in line with that he gives us an opportunity he gives our faith an opportunity to respond doesn't he uh, in the case for example of the Emmaus disciples Jesus acts like he's going to go further well why does he do that to give them an opportunity to say we want more Lord we want more um, and so he often does this. I, I don't know if you could call it playing a game, but certainly not in a flippant sort of way. Uh, but even Hezekiah, why did he do that? To give Hezekiah a chance to respond. He always gives our faith a chance to respond. Our worship reflects this, right? Um, uh, he invites us so tenderly to confess our sins. We do it. He responds with forgiving our sins. Then what happens? We respond by praising him. Um, o Lord, our Lord, or uh, glory be to God on high. And, and back and forth it goes. He, he always gives us that chance to respond to his course of action. Fantastic. All right. So we'll wrap it up here. This is Michael Zarling with Luke Weary and Lightning Camera Action. Let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who wants the water of life take it as a gift. Stay thirsty, my friends, then drink deeply from the water of life. <laughs>